Hi, and welcome to Health, Wealth and the Pursuit of Happiness, a podcast that will empower you to live a more inspired life and find real freedom. Each episode, Mark Dale Mazer and Aries Jimenez discuss best life practices, covering topics ranging from health and well-being, to true wealth and our relationship to money, to understanding what real freedom and happiness really is. They provide tools and a system for helping you live a balanced, authentic life in complete harmony with your mind, body and soul. Welcome everybody. Mark Dale Mazer here. And today is going to be a little bit different of a podcast. This particular episode, I do not have my partner Aries with me. And so I'm doing our very first subject expert on health alone, going solo. And so with that, please allow me to introduce Alina Cepeda. She is a licensed acupuncturist in San Diego. She holds a Master of Science in Oriental Medicine. Her work has always been really about helping people. And I'll tell you a little bit about her journey on the health road. It started with her search for finding really what optimum health really is for her. Even at a young age of 12, she started noticing that fast food didn't make her feel good. So she stopped eating it and continued on the search to find what food actually does feel best for her. She continued her health journey through fitness, starting with being a long distance runner, but has also gone through phases of cycling, swimming, weightlifting, dance, rock climbing, wait, there's more, yoga, Pilates, of course, Tai Chi, and Qigong, you name it. This woman did it. But here's where she eventually landed, in Chinese medicine. Both Chinese medicine and acupuncture as the modality of choice to bring her gift of helping people feel good about themselves and about life just like she did with me. So in this interview, she's gonna share more about her life, universal truths about well-being and health, what she brings to the table, literally the acupuncture table, as well as the table of health, her lessons learned regarding the big drivers of health and disease, and we will talk a lot about food, both as medicine and poison to one's body. And as great as all that is, I think what's most wonderful about her is her bedside manner and kind of like the health partnership she forms with her patients. Compassionate, conversive, and very passionate about healing. I bring you Alina Cepeda. Alina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on. You're on for the health in the health, wealth, and pursuit of happiness. And a couple interesting things of note. One is, I'm in your office, but I'm not on the table. Yes. I have a little confession. I was a little scared of the table. Not that I'm afraid of tables per se, <laughs> but I had someone in my office when I came back from a recent appointment said, how was your acupuncture appointment? And I said, I guess it was as good as it could be given I'm getting needles stuck in me all over the place. That was really a little intimidating, but. As it is for most people. Yeah. And the first six to eight or 10, I really wondered whether this was actually doing anything for me. And then I remember one particular treatment where I kind of zoned out and mm -hmm. I felt really good. And now I'm happy to report that pretty much every time I'm on the table, despite a few of those zingers, especially when you're wiggling the needle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do end up zoning out. And I fear, oh, I think that last one, I like, literally you walked out and then I thought like two minutes later you walked in and I thought something was wrong. So there we are, my little table story. Yes. And so very excited to have you as my guest. I'm very excited to be your guest. I think you're one of clearly, well, there's no question. I don't, I don't wonder. I know you're one of my top three care providers I've ever had. Wow, thank you, Mark. I didn't You're know right that. up there with Jim Reese and John Revis. John was my general practitioner for about 10 years in Chicago and just really liked the guy. 
And he was definitely interested in a lot of sort of my off-the-rail stuff that I started doing with Jim Reese. He was my primary care physician when I was using Jim the first time. And so I really admired that about him as an internist, that he didn't type poo-poo, and he just said, wow, really interesting. Tell me more about that. Anyways, you have a great bedside manner. I'm going to share that with you as well. Mm, thank you. So I really appreciate everything that you brought for my health. And so I really want to give our listening audience an opportunity to hear what's special about oriental medicine and acupuncture, why I think for most, if not all human beings on the planet that are concerned about their health and are concerned maybe about some malady or issue that they're dealing with, should look at providers such as yourself. So I'm hoping you can dig in and share a little bit about that, which I know you will. But before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of health in Chinese medicine and the like, share with the audience a little bit about you, where you're from, a little bit about your life growing up, and today, as a professional and practitioner, three words that might describe you best. Okay, so a little about my life growing up. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. I grew up with just my mom. I'm an only child. In elementary school, I moved a lot. We moved a lot. And I think that really taught me how to be adaptable. I learned how to adapt to many different kinds of people. And my mom always was a great role, role model for me for being, for what a strong woman is. Three things that describe me as a person Today, yes, and as a practitioner. So practitioner Alina is a little different from person Alina. I think as we all are, you know, yeah. different facets of our personalities come out in our different parts of our lives. As a person, I am spunky and enthusiastic and loving. And as a practitioner, I am thorough and methodical, but also very giving. I can see that from the practitioner side. <laughs> and a little bit of your personal comes out as well. So for those that are listening that are not really familiar with oriental medicine and acupuncture and how you practice it, particularly with functional medicine, could you go into a little detail in terms of how your practice might be a little bit similar, for sure how it's different from conventional Western medicine? Before I answer that question, I want to separate out what we mean by Western medicine. Because a lot of alternative medicine practitioners want to shun Western medicine. And I definitely don't want to portray that I feel that way. So Western medicine, as I see it, can be divided into three major categories. And what Western medicine is doing in research is incredible. I mean, the cancer research blows my mind what they're able to do with immunotherapy now. And then another part of Western medicine being surgical Western medicine. I mean, one of my patients, her grandchild, who's two months old, just had an operation a week ago that saved her eyesight. She's not blind. I mean, this is incredible. The, the nerves of steel these surgeons have and the research that goes into how they're going to complete the surgery. So that aside, Western medicine is doing some amazing things. The Western medicine that my practice so greatly differs from is clinical Western medicine. And that's, I don't feel good. You go into your primary care doctor and what do they do? They give you a pharmaceutical, which you most likely will develop side effects from and which just maybe sort of keeps your original symptoms at bay. And now you have to go back to your primary care doctor and get another pharmaceutical to deal with the first pharmaceutical and then people before they know it are on 10 different pharmaceuticals and they don't even know why. And they feel just as bad, if not worse, than when they originally went for their original symptoms. So my practice differs from that is in that I like to say that I practice the most ancient medicine, which is Chinese medicine, aside from Ayurveda, which comes from India, but Chinese medicine has the longest written lineage of any medical system, and then the most modern clinical medicine, and that is functional medicine. And even though they are separated by thousands of years, they actually both recommend a lot of the same things. And that is body, mind, and spirit cannot be separated. And on a daily basis, we need to be addressing all of them. 
what we put into our mouths and how we eat is extremely important, according to both. Moving our body is extremely important. Making sure that we are getting all of the vitamins and minerals that we need if we're not getting them from our food. So the biggest way that I differ from conventional clinical Western medicine is that I'm addressing the whole mind, body, spirit with every patient, every time I see them. So as your patient, I've experienced what's clearly the oriental medicine and Chinese medicine approach. But could you go a little bit deeper in functional medicine? Because my conception of the functional medicine as I started working with you was that you work or you use blood work to help guide you. The other thing I think that's really cool, and I don't know if that's functional medicine or what that is, but where you're looking for a particular story, you know, with a patient, like what's going on there. There's a theme. And so does functional medicine kind of play a role in that area as well? And again, could you elaborate a little bit on functional medicine? So functional medicine, again, like Chinese medicine, is the part that stands out most is going to be the blood work because that's where we start. We run a full workup, general blood work, a lot of the same lab markers that your doctor would run, but I'm going to interpret them completely differently. And and that happens in two major ways. One, the lab ranges we use in functional medicine are not so wide that everybody fits into them unless you have a full-blown disease. Our lab ranges are much more narrow because we're focusing on optimal health and looking for those subclinical conditions where people don't have a full-blown disease, but yet they, they don't feel good. So there are the more narrow lab ranges. And then that our lab ranges are based on healthy people, not, not sick people. In clinical Western medicine today, those lab ranges are based on largely based on sick people. So wh- why do we want to compare ourselves to someone sick? We're trying to live our optimal, healthy yeah, lives. Yeah. So that's where we begin with the blood work. And then when I do a full workup, it takes me about two to three hours. I sit down with all of these lab markers and I really, I create a story. I paint a picture. What is going on here? Why, why is cholesterol high? Why is it low? How does that tie to what our white blood cells are doing? How does that tie to leaky gut? How does that tie to our adrenals and our hormones? And I tie it all together and figure out what is going on with this person and what are the root causes? And we go after those root causes while also alleviating symptoms so that you can start feeling better sooner than later. And then also with functional medicine, we look at stool. We can run stool tests as well, which tells us a lot about what is going on inside the gut. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you see most commonly with people as far as either, I wouldn't even use the term disease, but more general conditions that people are struggling with. What are some common issues? I think that nine out of 10 people right now are walking around with some form of leaky gut. And tell us a little bit about leaky gut. So leaky gut is, we have these cells in our small intestine called tight junctions. Nothing is supposed to get in or out that the body wasn't designed to have get in or out. When we eat, when we eat in our car, when we eat while we're stressed, when we eat gluten and dairy, which are the most pro-inflammatory foods, when we are chronically stressed, when we are not getting enough sleep, these tight junctions begin to open. And now these large proteins that our food breaks down into are seeping out of our gut and they're seeping into our bloodstream. Our immune system is hanging out in our bloodstream. And while food is not a pathogen, it's not technically a bad guy like a common cold or a flu, it's not supposed to be there. So our immune system goes on alert, attacks. When this keeps happening for years, especially if we have genetic predisposition, and especially if we have been chronically stressed for years and years, this can lead to autoimmunity, which is a big focus in my practice. And I think functional medicine is the best chance we have to manage autoimmunity and its growing prevalence that we're seeing in the Western world. Yeah, yeah. In terms of what you see in patients on the other end of the spectrum, besides conditions and issues, what miraculous things have you seen? Because one of the things that I truly have developed over the years, particularly since I started working with practitioners in Chinese medicine and the like, 
is the actual strength of the body to heal itself. One of my big takeaways in working with Jim Reese was his focus and, and I would say primary focus on getting the body in a state of homeostasis and why that was important. And he had me read some books, so I understood that. It had a profound impact on me and, and helped me to realize that that's kind of like the thing for every human, and I am a human, is to strive for homeostasis. And what are the things that contribute to homeostasis? What are the things that really hurt us in the area of homeostasis? And through that experience, I realized that the body is definitely capable of healing itself. I mean, when we heal, people don't, you know, it's the body that does the healing. It's the enablers that help the body. You know, professionals like you and the individual themselves has to be one of those partners enabling the body to heal. What kind of miracles have you seen? What kind of like really neat things have you seen from patients in terms of their healing? Well, I think you're a great example. Am I? Yes, I do. When I see people decide to, I think we as Westerners, we exist in our head so much and we're not really so much in our body, which I recommend for all of my patients a strong or even a sometimes meditation practice because that gets us out of our head and down into our body. It does. So when I see patients, when I'm making these recommendations, let's start meditating, let's start being conscious about how we're eating and what we're eating. Let's really work on getting these pro-inflammatory foods out of our diet, which you have done largely, and you did religiously for months and months at a time. And now, which as we all want to get to that point, you take your certain allowances here and there. Yeah. 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 And then you pay attention to your body when it tells you, okay, that's enough. You've taken enough allowances. Let's back it off. When I see patients start really making conscious choices about their sleep and their diet and their lifestyle and the relationships in their life and incorporating meditation, I see the body do exactly that. Suddenly we're, we're reminded, oh yeah, we're animals. We're mammals. We, we know how to do this. We know how to heal ourselves just the way animals do out in the wild. They can't go to their primary care doctor and, that is true. and get some morphine to make them feel better to get through you know this ankle sprain or whatever. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so and on a side note, which I'll just share with the audience as well, when you and I were having that conversation and I was kind of curious about the whole leaky gut thing, and I don't think the markers were there showing that I had leaky gut, but one of the things that I always noticed in my own body is I would often feel bloated. And the other thing that I took note of is that I would feel kind of pain in my stomach. I mean, it wasn't like when I like pressed it in. And the reason I became conscious of that is when I go, I remember in my younger years going to my internist and he put me on the table and I'm laying there on my back and then he kind of like feeling around and he'd always go like press into my abdomen area. He didn't know why he was doing that. I don't know what he was looking for, but like it was like, you know, kind of like probing on the, from the outside, but it always hurt, you know, particularly like a little bit lower. And I kind of wondered about that. I mean, I thought to myself, that probably isn't really normal. Right. Like good. Or how it should be. But I never really gave it a lot of thought. And then when we had the conversation about leaky gut and you recommended, well, I could, you know, kind of, and my, my interest, by the way, for a listening audience was that I wanted to get ahead of the curve. As I'm aging, I don't feel like I'm 40 anymore. So obviously things are changing in my body. And I wanted to make sure that what could be lurking in the system that I may not sense in the way of a symptom, really, I wanted to stay ahead of it. So I thought I would do this experiment. And you were kind enough to share with me your leaky gut syndrome diet. And I looked at it, and I remember thinking, at first I thought, well, you know, I could do this because I've done some similar stuff with Reese when I did you know, major cleansing and stuff like that. But what I did notice was when you said no grains, it was like, like literally like no any type of grains because I always divided grains into good grains and bad grains. And with Jim, I went off the bad grains. With you, I had to go off my bad grains for sure, and then I also had to get off the good grains, the quinoa, the millet, the amaranth, for reasons which I had no clue, but you shared with me what each of these actually, not that they were stressful on the body, but if you're really going to go all out and just like eliminate every potential stressor, 
So I did. I cut out all grains, which I had never done in my entire life. And then I cut out the dairy. The dairy wasn't quite as hard, although I am a butter guy. So, and that's what really... And the occasional cappuccino guy, right? The occasional cappuccino guy. But I do love a cup of coffee during the weekend for breakfast with my sacred Saturdays with Catherine at the French bakery. (laughs) And for those four months, sans almond croissants, that was the toughest thing. And as we talked about, not only in terms of not eating it, but it kind of messed with our little routine and kind of our eating dining relationship, if you will. Of course, of course. I know, it's a big deal. I tell my patients a lot as we're going through elimination diets, we have deep relationships with food and this is going to affect more than just your grocery shopping list. Right, exactly. And I never really tied it to like a relationship, the most meaningful relationship in my life. So long short is I cut it out and I think I went it for sure 120 days. I may have gone 150 days. I went three to four months solid before we were going to assess. You originally said six weeks, 10 weeks, whatever. And The reason I went longer was, lo and behold, two major things within the first two to three weeks. One was, I actually noticed my stomach unbloating. It's like my stomach actually slightly flattened out, which I just thought that was my weight. It was my bloating. And for the listeners, Mark is a trim guy. I'm a trim guy, but I had a little bit, I don't say I had a gut. No, you didn't have a gut. But I'm, you know, I'm like super anal on just kind of knowing any shift that happens in my body, visually, sure. feeling-wise, whatever. So that was amazing. And then the other thing were my bowel movements. One, regular. Two, soft. I, as I shared with you, I would, like almost like clockwork, every week or so, I'd have an event where it was like having a child. <laughs> And that you do that for many years, it pretty much sucks. And so to have that completely go away was magical. That was worth its weight in gold right there. So really a powerful example of how these two pro-inflammatory foods really changed my body chemistry. The other thing was every physical ache or pain I had as a result of an injury slowly went away. And I remember... 10 weeks into it, maybe, 12 weeks into it at the most, but I remember somewhere in that range, I started noting the chronic shoulder issue that I had, gone. I started noting even when I went into certain yoga poses where every time I got at this particular depth, it was hurting and that was gone. And to this day, even though I've brought some of these foods in and I've experimented bringing them in and then I'd have a reaction and I'd just cut them out again and kind of try to find that balance. So... Catherine would stay married to me if I continued to share a croissant with her every now and then. (laughs) We didn't want to take any chances. Right. And so that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And so here I am. I don't spend like six months, maybe nine months since I started it. I think we're getting close to a year. Maybe we are a year. Yeah. Since I started it, I do introduce these foods off and on. I'm kind of getting my limit now where it either affects my bowels or I feel it in my body pain-wise or I just feel kind of achy. But I'm still in the gym and none of those injuries have ever resurfaced, none of those pain areas. And my neck has been as good as it's been. Yeah, and so that's the amazing, that's why you're one of my success stories because when I find people start making the conscious choices like you decided to do, which you've always been very conscientious about living, but you became even more so about your diet. The aches and pains go away. The weight comes off. Even you, you didn't have any weight to lose and you still lost a few pounds. I still lost a few pounds, but the right kind of pounds. Right, right. Sleep gets better. Bowel movements get better. Your ability to handle stress gets better. Yeah, I see this energy level. I I see this over and over again when people decide to make these conscious shifts in their life. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. So as an individual, in addition to a practitioner, I'm certain that you have sort of learned some great life lessons and lessons surrounding well-being. Would you care to share some of your top lessons? You know, I think it's it's going to be a little <laughs> anticlimactic. 
I remember I was reading, I like to read interviews of very successful people because it's like, okay, well, what yeah. are their secrets? Yeah. And Richard Branson, the CEO oh, of yeah. Virgin. I follow him as well. Yeah. yeah. They asked him, what's your secret? And he said, work out, just work out. <laughs> and I can't say that mine are that different. I will say when I started making sure that I am in bed by 10 o'clock, things really started to change. When I started making sure to move my body every day in some way, even if it's just I get down on the floor and do child's pose for a few minutes and do I stretch for about seven or eight minutes. Usually, hopefully it's more than that. But if that's all I have that day, moving your body every day, because it's not just good. It's really for our mind. That's the secret. It's more for our mind than it is for our body. And getting in touch with your body is really learning how to be in your body and listen. It's giving us signs and signals all day of what it likes and doesn't like, but we're running around like crazy, not paying attention. And so Chinese medicine school really taught me that about getting in touch with my body. And you know, like all med school students, you go through the typical hypochondriac phase where, oh, I've got this and I've got that. (laughs) And once you get through that and you really start learning to get in touch with your body, it's telling you all day what it likes and what it doesn't. It's not a secret, but I think we live so fast now and we cram so much in and we're so bombarded and overstimulated that we don't know how to reach that stillness about to listen to our body, Yeah, which tells us. And, and, and now people don't know what to eat. I mean, I feel like what I tell people is very simple, but people come in, they have no idea what to eat. We were not trained correctly. Yeah. Plain and simple. Mm -hmm. We don't get the education where we really need it to actually live a great life. You know, the other interesting thing about that body feedback that I'll also share, one of the effects of meditation for me was not so much getting in touch with my body because that was certainly a part of it. But I think the bigger thing was when the body was talking, I used to resist. I would just like shut it down. It's like I didn't want to listen to it. But with the meditation, I think what started happening was I dropped the propensity to resist all the time because resistance is a big thing in our lives. And I'm learning its effect on health as well, mentally, spiritually. So I've been doing a lot more sort of reading on the subject of resistance and I've become much more sensitized to where I'm resisting because the resisting really does lead to stress and it, and it can kind of disconnect you from where you need to be connected. So I started not resisting quite so strongly and trying to get to a point where I don't resist any feedback I'm getting from my body. I don't judge it. I don't like fight against it. I just accept it. And I look at it for the blessing that it is, that it's giving me a signal. So I could do something about it or not do something about it. It's kind of weird, but it sort of changes your your feeling about yourself. Where I actually think that part of it from a shift standpoint was, I actually started to love my body, which I gotta say, I don't think I ever really did. I was pissed at my body because it doesn't quite look the way I wanted it to look. And it wasn't you know, allowing me to do everything I wanted to do. And I was like blaming it. Whether it was, you know, I was losing a step because of my age, or it was, I can't eat these foods because then it makes me feel like this, or I end up functioning poorly like that, whatever it is. So that shift, I think every human being has to go through. I do. And I think a lot of the resistance comes from what you found when you gave up all of the grains. It challenged the most important relationship in your life. And I think that subconsciously people know if I make some of these changes, this is really going to challenge some of the relationships in my life and and the way that I live my life in a much bigger way than I'd like to. And that's scary. So instead, they go back to their coping mechanism of jack-in-the-box or (laughs) diving into social media for hours at a time or shows on TV. Exactly. I think that really is one of the biggest challenges that every person has, is the relationships in their life. I mean, colleagues that I've spoke to in the past about it that have asked me for help and I give them some ideas and the resistance always comes at, on the home front. You know, if if a spouse isn't on board with it and the kids aren't on board with it, you're a person on an island doing it on your own. And that creates stress. It's more work. It's, it's a price. But you got to choose. What's the price? 
breakdown of my body, ill health, disease, or better health, and you know, and hopefully bring the rest of the family around. I do find that it, it, 35 seems to be the age where people's bodies go, that's it. I'm done. You've overdrawn your account for years, and I've said, okay, <laughs> exactly, but, but right. now it's time to pay back your debts. And it's around 35. So yeah. all of you 30-year-olds out there are listening. <laughs> <laughs> Get on board. Yes. Your time's coming. <laughs> <laughs> do it early. <laughs> Definitely. Early is always better. Mm-hmm. One thing that happened to you in your life that without it, you would not be where you are today. So autoimmunity is near and dear to my heart because I received my autoimmune diagnosis in February of 2015. But like many women, childbirth being the stressful event that it is and the the way that your immune system ramps up to provide antibodies for your child and having lived a pretty chronically stressful life of driving myself really hard, and there was autoimmunity. And that is when clinical Western medicine, I saw cardiologists and ear, nose, and throat doctors and all kinds of specialists for, for a year, and no one could figure it out. I went to see a naturopath when my son was about a year, and she ran labs, and there it was. There was the Hashimoto's. And that diagnosis, when she said, you're going to have to give up gluten and dairy, because for people with autoimmunity, these foods are cause your immune system to launch an attack on your thyroid every time you have even just a smidge of those things. I cried for a month. I would go in the kitchen and just cry and go, there's nothing to eat because our standard American diet, which funnily enough, sad, <laughs> is pretty sad. It is pretty sad. But- We sure think it makes us feel good. Having to give up those foods, and that's what began my journey into functional medicine and learning how to live a more deliberate life. And so that diagnosis, basically having my son, which caused my autoimmunity to turn on, and then receiving that diagnosis has put me where I am today. And now, yes, I do go to bed early. And on Friday and Saturday night, I'm in bed at 9 or 9.30. You're not alone. (laughs) And being really conscious about the foods that I put in my body and making sure that I move my body and get that exercise and making sure that I have the positive, healthy social relationships in my life and getting rid of those toxic relationships. That has led me to where I am today, to live a really full and happy life where I have gratitude every day. I walk up these steps into my office every day and say, thank you so much for this life. Cool. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that interesting? It is. Hashimoto's. It is. And, and I want to say for the listeners out there that have received an autoimmune diagnosis, it feels like a prison. And sometimes I still joke with my husband like, oh, can't eat that. I'm in my prison of health. But... And sometimes it is frustrating. It's not all puppies and rainbows every day. Like, oh, I love eating meat and and sauteed vegetables for breakfast. I mean, don't get French toast was my favorite, favorite breakfast of all time. But that's not possible anymore. But what the things I have had to give up are so small in comparison to the life that has opened up for me because of living according to managing my autoimmune disease. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Because often the very things that we really are confronted with end up to be the very things that we end up bringing as gifts to the world to overcome Mm. and to help others with the same issue. So, and I know you've shared that before. So thank you for sharing it in the podcast. You are human after all. (laughs) I am. (laughs) So in wrapping up, well, I didn't say wrapping up quite yet, but kind of moving into kind of the best practices in life conversation, knowing what you know. Routines are really important. They're super important to me. I know they're important to pretty much most successful people, no matter what line of work that they're in. And I think as humans, we really thrive with the right routines. Tell us a little bit about your routine. So I can't... Say that I have many routines that I do every single day, but every week 
I look at my life in weeks. Okay. And so every week there are routines that I make sure. I would say the one routine that I do every morning is when I first see my son in the morning, I give him a hug. I ask him how he slept and just make sure to establish that connection. That's really important to me every single day. While I'm driving, I run through a gratitude list. And the reason is, is because sometimes at night I'm so tired that I will forget to do it. And so now I've made it a habit to, while I'm driving, I say it out loud. I list off the things that I am thankful for. Are they different things all the time or is it kind of like the basic, a basic list? No, they're different, different things. I'm, I'm looking at the things that have happened in the last week okay. and I'm going, wow, that happened. And if I hadn't consciously taken just a few seconds to acknowledge that happened, that's what I wished for. And that happened. That's what I worked so hard to make happen. And it did happen. Wow. Thank you. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. And then the days that I treat patients, I make sure to meditate at some point during the day because either right when I get here or on my lunch break, because it's really, I take my responsibilities very seriously. And so when people choose me as their practitioner, it's very important to me that I take care of them and that they feel taken care of and that they feel like we have a real partnership and we're really working towards something. And so meditation, just that 10 minutes of meditation, and I do guided meditation. I wish I could say that I was one of these people that can sit down for 20 minutes just in silence and meditate. But every time I try to do that, I make grocery lists and all kinds of lists because I'm a list maker. So what's a guided tool use? And this isn't, I'm not getting any kickback from this, but uh, Headspace, the Headspace app is what I use. I think it's fantastic. And he has all kinds of packs. We were talking about resistance. Mm-hmm. I just finished a resistance pack. So on the days I treat, I make sure to meditate because it's really important to me that I am able to hold that space for my patients in a way that makes them feel safe and that they feel like they can release. Because I feel like as people, we're all walking around just holding it all in. We're just holding it together, right? Until we can get to that quiet, safe space where we can release. And for so many people... If you have a bunch of kids, if you have a really stressful job, you don't really have that quiet, safe space to go to. And so I want this to be that quiet, safe space. And there's a lot of crying that goes on in my office. And and I take that as a testament to I am able to help create this space with my patients. And then Friday and Sunday morning, I make sure to go to yoga to move my body. Yes, but more so to confront where I am at emotionally, because yoga is so much about where I am on my mat today, this is where I'm at. Accept it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 And so confronting where I'm at emotionally, I find a lot of things that I I didn't really realize were kind of brewing below the surface Mm -hmm. when I do yoga. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Great routines. How about a best meal? Is there such a thing as the best meal of the day for most people? And if there is, what would one have for that meal? Well, since I mostly follow AIP, which is the autoimmune protocol, I'm not religious with it, but I mostly follow it. I believe breakfast is the best meal. I mean, we've kind of heard that old adage all all our lives, but it really does jumpstart your metabolism. It really does. In functional medicine and in Chinese medicine, the gut is the core. It's the center of everything. And when our gut is sick, we are sick. And when our gut is healthy, we are healthy. So if we are as well with autoimmunity and just and people without autoimmunity maintaining your blood sugar is extremely important when we have too much sugar in our blood when we don't have enough sugar in our blood both of these things cause inflammation so it's really important to maintain a healthy blood sugar level if you're eating dinner at seven o'clock at night and you're not eating your first meal until the next day at noon That is far too long. Your blood sugar has dipped way too low and your body is releasing inflammatory cytokines. Really? That happens when the blood sugar drops? Yes, yes. And we go into a state of reactive hypoglycemia. We're creating all kinds of inflammation. We now know that chronic inflammation leads to most chronic disease, including some cancers. So What we're doing every day through all of these conscientious practices is we are keeping that inflammation away. And so breakfast breaks the fast and we stop any inflammation that can ensue when we wait until lunch or 11 o'clock to eat that first meal. And I have patients tell me all the time, I'm just not hungry for breakfast in the morning. 
okay, well, that's because you have so much mucus in your digestive system from all of that dairy and all of that gluten that, of course, you're not hungry. You're not really moving your bowels the way that they want to move. So yeah, absolutely breakfast. For me, I usually have a green drink in the morning with tons of vegetables. I get about eight servings of vegetables in that green drink. Some mornings I will do a protein and vegetables, sauteed vegetables. This morning I had eggs with some green onions. How do you do the eggs? Scramble, sometimes poach. They scramble what are using fat when you scramble? Like I do. I use tallow. Tallow. Yes. Okay. Tallow, lard, and duck fat. Those are what I cook with. Duck fat. Duck fat. Oh, so yummy. I've been kind of drawn to the duck fat mm-hmm. thing. Is there a taste with the duck fat? How would you describe it? It's funny because I think my son actually described it best. He said it tastes like a different kind of butter. Okay. Yeah. It, does it behave like butter? It does. Okay. Yeah. They, they all kind of behave like butter. It's hard to find in grocery stores. I actually order mine from Amazon. Yeah. There's a great company called Fatworks. I think I've seen it. My organic grocery store right near the house, Cream of the Crop. Shout out. The cream of the crop. <laughs> it's great. Oceanside, Carlsbad, right there off Vista Way at PCH. I think they have the best produce of any store. They'll beat Whole Foods for fresh produce. We're so lucky in California. I know. And I, I, it's all locally sourced. Yeah. It's all coming from farms in Southern California for the most part. Yeah. But the other cool thing about it, when they don't get it, when they don't have it, it's gone. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're not pulling it from Argentina or Whatever. Nothing wrong with Argentina. I didn't mean to like pick on the Argentinians. For those of us trying to be locavores. Well, that's, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, locavores and not only that, but you are giving up a certain level of freshness if you're importing from Chile. Absolutely. Or from Japan or something. I mean, we're just far away from those countries. And, you know, food's designed to decay. That's what it's supposed to do. So as soon as you can get it off the farm and into your house, the better for sure. Anyways, yeah, I think they have that brand of duck fat there. I'm going to try the duck fat now. Thanks. It it makes richer food than an avocado oil or a coconut oil is going to. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know if there's one thing about best practice of eating food to share, like one thing. If you do nothing else but this regarding food, what would that be? It's going, and and your listeners are going to go, ah, when I say these two, it's a toss up. (laughs) It's a toss up between, and this is for American listeners, not European listeners, if you have any European listeners. I hope I do someday. Maybe they're listening right now. Hopefully. Getting the gluten out of your diet. No one should be eating gluten. Studies have shown that 85% of people can't digest it. So why gamble that you're one of the lucky 15%? Because you're probably not. 85%. Yeah. So it's going to be either getting the gluten out of your diet or getting as much sugar out of your diet as you can, including even high sugar fruits, like the tropical fruits and bananas and things like that. Well, here's, you know, we assume that everyone knows what gluten foods are. Sure. But I'm not so sure everyone knows every gluten food that is out there. Right. I have a lot of patients come in and say, do potatoes have gluten? No, they don't. Does rice have gluten? No, it doesn't. So gluten is anything with wheat, any sort of pasta or bread. So anything made with the grain wheat. Yes. Yes. That's for sure gluten. How about outside the wheat box? So the reason that going grain-free can be a really good idea and especially, this is where my Chinese medicine comes in, we use tongue diagnosis. If you stick your tongue in, out and you look at it in the mirror and you see a deep center crack, not, not unlike our host here. Yes. Thank you, Wonder Bread. Kills the body in 12 ways. <laughs> if you see a deep center crack, this is a good sign that your body probably is not very good at handling grains. This is longstanding chronic inflammation in the gut, mostly caused by grains. So the reason that amaranth and millet and barley and these other ancient grains and spelt that we thought were so great when the whole gluten-free craze came about, they're actually not so great because of a process called molecular mimicry. And this is molecularly, they are similar enough to gluten that the body's going to recognize it as gluten. Wow. So that's why we really don't want to be eating grains at all, corn as well. And, you know, if you, fun fact, the agricultural revolution started about 10,000 years ago, which is when about all modern disease began. 
So more credence to the Correlation fact that there. Yeah, we really yeah. shouldn't be eating grains. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for the one thing. But also with gluten, there are hidden sources. Soy sauce. If you go for sushi, you want to ask for tamari, which is Japanese soy sauce, which doesn't have the wheat in it. Okay. Ketchups, sauces. Ketchup has like... Ketchup can have gluten, sauces, dressings. Mm -hmm. And again, those are from wheat? Yeah. Yeah. Never knew that. Mm -hmm. Thought it was just tomatoes and sugar. No, Heinz. I, I believe Heinz has gluten. Wow. Yeah. I wonder what purpose it even serves in a ketchup. I would think a thickener, a cheap thickener. Ah, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good point. How do you start and end each day? So a few months ago, we moved into this great place that is right across the biggest park, right across from the biggest park in San Diego, Balboa Park. Love that park. Yes. So I get up every morning and open the blinds and look out at the trees, these huge old trees. I have a special relationship with trees. I lived outside for five years in my 20s, and that's where my relationship really developed with trees. They give wow. us so, so much. Are you a tree hugger? I am a tree hugger, nice. <laughs> literally. <laughs> so I, I, that's the first thing I do in the morning is I look at the trees. And then the last thing I do before I go to sleep at night is, of course, check on my son and then read something, even if it's just for a few minutes, no matter how tired I am. Right now I'm reading a book, Boys Will Be Boys. Yeah, raising our boys consciously, something like oh, that's that. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Now, for a little wrap up, mm -hmm. in terms of wisdom shared, if you could give someone three words of wisdom regarding their health and well being, what would it be? So, I thought about this, and I think it would be slow down now. Slow down now. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What's a universal health truth for you, which you've probably shared, but. Yeah, it's back to the, I, I've talked so much about diet and what we put into our mouth, but I really think that move your body every day, because if we move our body, we're clearing out toxins so that we can eliminate them through our urine or our stool or our sweat. If we move our body, it clears out our mind, and then our mind can make better choices and better decisions. Yeah. I think I think that's the bottom of the pyramid for me. You know, that's a big thing for me too, and I just wondered if it was me, but now I'm kind of thinking it's like, Again, it's a human thing, mm -hmm. and it should be for everybody, probably. So thanks for sharing that. What's your favorite book on health and healing? Do you have one? I do. So I have a very logical choice and then a choice that doesn't seem to make so much sense. So the the book by Dr. Datis Karazian, and it has such a long title, I always forget it, but it's, Why Do I Still Feel So Terrible When My Lab Tests Are Normal? My Thyroid Lab Tests Are Normal. And it's- I want to get that book. Yeah. I love that. It is, why do that I still really have symptoms yeah. when my lab tests are normal? Yeah. Something like that. Okay. But it is all about the thyroid. And because I have Hashimoto's, that's near the yeah. thyroid is near yeah. and dear to my heart. And, and hypothyroidism is a silent epidemic. For several years, Synthroid, which is the major drug prescribed for hypothyroidism, was the most prescribed drug for several years, and it's still always in the top three. So people are walking around with low thyroids, and, and everyone's just kind of hush-hush about it, and they just take their Synthroid. So that book, I think in 200 pages, he does an amazing job of laying out all of the information you ever wanted to know about your thyroid, about what lab tests to get, what those lab tests mean, and then what we can do to help fix our thyroid. That's my first book. Then my second book, which doesn't make so much sense, but is actually a children's book, but it's one of those children's books that's really for adults. And it's The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. And if you could sum up that book, it would go back to my three words of wisdom, which is slow down now. One of my favorite parts of the book is he comes across, he, he's meeting different people and he meets someone who says, oh, I figured out a way to save every person 45 minutes a day with this nifty contraption. And he said, the little prince says, if I had an extra 45 minutes a day, I would just walk very slowly to a water fountain, meaning he would be savoring his time thinking about, I'm about to have this water. It's about to quench my thirst. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. It's a great book. Great. Where did you find that book? I don't remember. I don't remember. But is it, it's, a, is it a recently published book or is it? Been oh no, for? it's so old. Oh. and I think he's French. It's Le Petit Prince. I think it was originally in, in French and then it was translated. It's been translated in like a hundred languages. But yeah, it's a great one. Before your final word, 
And many of these questions, as you can tell, are really kind of asking the same thing, but a little bit different. So different answers may come out of it. So imagine that you're sitting in front of your 18-year-old self, knowing what you know now, what would you tell her? The first thing I ever wanted to be when I was a kid, you know, when you're four or five and people ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it was a pediatrician. Wow. And I think from a very young age, I knew that my calling in this life was to help people in, in some capacity. In college, I worked with autistic children at a preschool. I spent a few months in Ecuador teaching children in the Amazon jungle. For three years, I worked with emotionally troubled youth in the wilderness in Florida, rehabilitating them to be members of society again. And I took people on active travel vacations, helping them get away from the stresses of their lives. And so I think I would tell myself, don't worry, stop stressing. You're going to contribute. You're going to help people. Just keep on the path that you're on. Trust your decisions. Trust yourself. And you will eventually end up at the place that I am now, which is I skip to work and I get to help people every day while they help me because the one who's giving the help is getting the help too. Cool. Yeah. Great. Any final word? I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for thinking of this and for for having me on. I mean, I always enjoy seeing you on my schedule yeah. because I know we're going to delve into, you know, in the few minutes we some have before you stuff. get on the table, <laughs> we're going to delve into some interesting life lessons and yeah. questions we have about life. And yeah. so yeah. getting to spend an hour chatting with you has been delightful. Well, it's been a delight to have you on the show. No, oh, thank you. And I appreciate your contribution, which is grand, really is grand. I know many will benefit by it. I will also say that everything that Alina talked about, specifically books or points of reference, will be in the show notes. Her information will be in the show notes. Her website link, all that kind of stuff will be in the show notes. If you're local here in San Diego, you will want to check her out. Mm -hmm. I think that's my final word as well. So thank you again, Alina. Okay, thank you. And until our next health, wealth, and Pursuit of Happiness podcast on the subjects of health. We'll be back to you all then. Thanks. Some of the concepts and tools used in the process of helping you discover a more balanced and inspired life are provided by the Kinder Institute, Money Quotient, and The Strategic Coach. These may be referenced throughout different episodes of the podcast, and you can learn more about each of them in our show notes at hwph.org. You can also find more information about the work Mark and Aries do at sandiegowealth.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and available directly via email with feedback, questions, and more at us at hwph.org. Thank you all for listening.